0: Hello everyone. Welcome once again to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey Podcast. This is episode, weekly episode, that is number 127 in our series. I'm your host, Rick Cole, every week, right here on the Hockey Podcast Network. We take a trip down memory lane, back in time 50 years, and we bring you all the important hockey news from that period, exactly as it was reported in the words of some of the greatest sports writers of all time. In this episode, we are in the week of April 17th to 23rd, 1972, and what a week it's going to be. Now, if you like what we do here uh, on the Hockey Podcast Network each week and pretty soon every day on Twitter, you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years and subscribe to the podcast. Our subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, but we're going to be getting back to getting our overtime episodes out. Those are special episodes in which we allow ourselves to delve more deeply and in greater detail into the stories that dominated the hockey world 50 years ago, and at this particular point in time, we are reaching a really critical time period in hockey history, 1972, was a seminal year for a lot of reasons and we're going to bring it all to you along with some special stuff you probably won't find anywhere else so that's patreon.com slash hockey 50 years to subscribe okay so this week 50 years ago was really one very newsworthy uh news packed week uh, it, it was really a week that i I, re, I remember looking back on at the time i didn't think it was all that significant but as as uh, the year unfolded we we found it was really uh, a lot of things were started in this week 50 years ago now all of a sudden we've only got two playoff series to think about weren't things so much simpler 50 years ago we went from Four series down to the semifinals, and pretty soon we would have only one series to think about now of these two series that we had one the Rangers in Chicago was very highly anticipated these were two very evenly matched teams and most of the hockey writers that were commenting at this time were predicting at least a six probably seven game series one game was already in the books and it followed the script perfectly the Rangers on Sunday night of this uh, last weekend had edged the Blackhawks by a 3-2 score in a tight one. Now the other series was pretty much considered a no contest formality as the St. Louis Blues who had won the uh, the privilege of playing the Bruins would would find out they had managed to get by the North Stars in what was a minor upset but now they had to play the Boston Bruins and that wasn't going to be fun. So what we're going to do this week, we're going to bring you the our coverage of the two playoff series, followed up by all the major news. And it was one story I think that should have dominated even more than it did this week. And we're going to get into great deal detail on that as we get going here. But first of all, we're going to cover these series. So initially, we're going to look at the Bruins Blues series. Now, nobody was given the St. Louis Blues even a ghost of a chance against the mighty Boston Bruins. From the goalkeeping on out, the Blues simply did not match up well against the Bruins in any area that was important. Uh, Even the news on Monday morning that Derek Sanderson of the Boston was back in the hospital with some They were calling it some sort of viral infection. Uh, There was not even that could raise the blues hopes, even a smidgen. As, as this series was about to unfold. The goalies for Game 1 were Eddie Johnson for the Bruins, and the Blues were really kind of delaying who their starter was going to be, but it looked to uh, most observers that Jacques Caron, the journeyman who found his way to the Blues partway through this season and played well against the North Stars, he would probably get the nod from Coach Al Arbor He would be more of a sacrificial lamb than anything else, we all thought. Boston coach uh, Tom Johnson said that, yes, Johnson would start in Game 1, but Jerry Cheevers would start in Game 2. Johnson very wisely trying to keep both men sharp for what he anticipated would be a very tough final series against either the Rangers or the Blackhawks. Blues coach Al Arbour was taking kind of a realistic approach to the series as they prepared for the uh, Game 1 faceoff. Al said, there isn't much doubt we've come a lot further than most people figured we would get. But Al says he felt all along that they could beat Minnesota in the playoffs if they got a few breaks and what always turns playoff series some hot goalkeeping. Al says it's going to take a lot more breaks and a lot hotter goaltending and maybe even a few prayers if we're going to beat the Bruins. But Al said that one thing in the Blues' favor was that they will be real underdogs, and because of that, there shouldn't be any pressure on the Blues at all. Uh, Beating Minnesota, Minnesota was a big accomplishment, according to Arbor, and for the Blues, It took the pressure off. They were hoping to win a series, and that's exactly what they did. But, Arbor says, don't worry. Boston is going to let us know we're in a hockey game right after they drop the first puck. Al says he knows this, the team knows this, and all the Blues may get beaten. They will not be mauled. Well, we'll just have to see about that. Well, game one followed... A predictable script. Fred Stanfield scored three goals leading the Bruins to a 6-1 victory over the Blues. The Bruins were of course well rested from a week's layoff after they eliminated the Leafs in five games. The Blues actually took a 1-0 lead in this game on Gary Unger's power play goal Early in the opening period, but Stanfield tied the score slightly more than a minute later. Mike Walton and Johnny Busick also scored, lifting Boston into a 3 1 first period lead. Stanfield He's 27-year-old center, used on the Boston power play. A good uh, point shot. Everybody remembers a couple years ago that shot from the point against the Blues that knocked Jacques Plano cold when it hit him in the forehead. Stanfield made it 4-1 on another long slap shot while the Bruins had the man advantage midway through the second period. Then late in the third period, or in the second period, he poked in a rebound of a shot by Busick and Freddie had his hat trick. Phil Esposito capped off the scoring about three quarters of the way through the third period. And that was at 6-1, Boston. The game was enlivened by a pair of fights with the Blues Kurt Bennett involved in both of them. Bennett got a bloody nose after exchanging punches with Carol Vadney and Don Ori in the second period. And there's a little bit of a pattern there. Two Bruins, one Blues. Then... Bennett squared off with Boston's Kenny Hodge in the closing minutes of the contest and he came out pretty well even on that. The Blues used two goalies Jacques Caron working the first two periods and mercifully he was lifted by Al Arbor and Ernie Wakeley took over in the third. Caron made 21 saves and Wakeley in the third period alone made 17 stops. Tuesday night we would also see the New York Rangers and Chicago Blackhawks meet in game two of their semifinal series that would take place in a raucous noisy Chicago stadium packed to the rafters as it usually was. The big news out of New York going into the game was that goalie Ed Jockerman was listed as a doubtful starter for the Rangers this was pretty significant news but New York coach Emil Francis he wasn't worried. Jill's Villamir would be the New York starter and he actually had outplayed Jockerman for much of the season anyway. The Rangers stood to lose little in the way of reliability if the veteran Jockerman was unable to go because Gilles Villamir was that good this season. It was a knee problem that had rendered Eddie to a questionable status and you wondered whether that was going to be a bigger problem as time went on. Well the Rangers did start Villamir in goal and as we mentioned it made little difference as the Rangers took a 2-0 lead right in Chicago Stadium. Rod Gilbert's second goal of the game was the highlight of a four-goal third period that provided the New Yorkers with their 5-3 win over the Blackhawks. The Rangers came from behind three times in this game to win it, beating the Hawks for the second consecutive game after Chicago had gone sixteen games without a loss at home previous to that first match. Gilbert got the second New York goal on a power play to tie the game at 2-2 in the first minute of the final period, and then he netted the game winner when his 25-foot shot from the side popped out of Tony Esposito's glove and dropped harmlessly, well not so harmlessly actually, into the Chicago net. The Hawks had scored first in the game when Dennis Hull shot home a patented 50-foot drive after Vic Hadfield tied it for the Rangers. Stan Makita scored for the Hawks, and they had a 2-1 lead after 40 minutes of play. Pat Stapleton then gave the Hawks a 3-2 lead in the third period, scoring on a 40-foot screenshot that Gilles Villamere still hasn't seen. That was on a power play, but Brad Park tied it up again less than two minutes later to set up Rod Bears. Winning goal. Now the game was rough from the opening second, and referee Bruce Hood called 15 penalties, nine of them, in the middle period. Neither team could take advantage of many other opportunities, and the Rangers held Chicago without a goal for a span of 55 seconds in the second period when they were short two men. The victory? was the fourth this year for the Rangers over the Hawks in eight games. And Chicago had 1-1 while three of the games had been tied. And now we get set for game three in a couple of days. So Thursday night, both series resume again. And we'll just say about the Thursday night Boston-St. Louis game that this uh, contest was surprising Only in how easy it was for the Bruins to thoroughly, completely embarrass the Blues. Uh, The great Tom Fitzgerald, writer of the Boston Globe, has this report. And I wanted to bring this to you because he pretty well illustrates just what uh, a horrible, horrible mismatch this series really was. Here's Tom Fitzgerald's report. There were more chuckles than cheers from the 14,995 in the stands at the Boston Garden as the Bruins enjoyed shooting practice and rolling up a 10 to 2 score over the St. Louis Blues. There were many calls to send in the Braves from some bored jokers as the Boston team provided a shocking example of the widening difference between the expansion teams and the powerhouses of the old establishment. The evening was a laugher which provided the Bruins with a 2 nothing lead in the semifinal Stanley Cup series. The next two games are at St. Louis Sunday afternoon, and Tuesday evening There have been very few games So one-sided Since play started for the Stanley Cup And matched the Bruins goal high achieved In a 10-0 road of Toronto Back in 1969 Less than half the crowd Was still in the seats When Eddie Westfall scored his second goal And the last for Boston At 16:47 47 Of the final period The big cheers for that interlaced the laughs and grumbles were reserved for the individual contributors who kept pouring the puck past frequently undefended St. Louis netminders Jacques Caron and... Ernie Wakely. There was a resounding ovation when Johnny Busick, eldest of the Bruins, completed his hat trick only 40 seconds before Westfall terminated the scoring. That's my second in the Stanley Cup, Chief was quick to note. The other one was against these guys, too, and that was in the final two years ago when the Bruins won. Stanley Cup over the Blues. There were single goals by Phil Esposito, Johnny McKenzie, Mike Walton, Ace Bailey, and Don Marcotte. Westfall scored the third goal in the first period, and that was the actual winner, it turns out to be. Although, is there actually a winning goal in a 10 2 route like this? Any defensive plan they had built. Had to be abandoned after they went behind 3 0, is what Westfall told Fitzgerald after the game. Westfall also said that the Bruins have some offensive minded defensemen and they got caught occasionally trying to get the team back in the game. The most striking play of the night was on the first goal by Busick. Uh, Johnny said, Freddie got a good pass to me and I just put it along the ice to the far side. Don't forget, I got two goals on the power play. That's a big thing for us. Our power plays are working very well, and the guys are killing penalties well, too. Meanwhile, Francis Rosa of the Boston Globes asked the question, and a lot of people are asking the question, are the Blues really that bad? Can they be that bad? Can the Bruins really be that good? Well, both were that way last night. Certainly the Blues played dead. But Phil Esposito says... We made him play that way. Esposito took care of that right away. On the first shift of the night, he bumped and slashed Kurt Bennett, who's a kind of a rough, big, tough guy for the Blues. So much for the strategy of putting Bennett on Esposito. Phil basically, uh, some people thought he ragdolled him. The Blues played as though they couldn't believe they belonged on the same ice with Boston. And if the truth were known, they really didn't. They just stood around, uh, they seem to run around without purpose when they did start to skate. Al Arbor says, well, we're a young team. We got eight rookies, and uh, they're out there playing, and Boston is a veteran team. They don't have a rookie out there on the ice during this game. Arbor says his team was playing like they were in a trance. Rosa writes that the key to the game, forget the cliches about the game was over when the first puck was dropped. The key to the game, according to Francis Rosa, was, of course, the Boston power play. The first three power play chances produced three goals. You can't score any more than that. You can't get a power play any more effective than that. You can't improve upon perfection. It was, of course, completely downhill after that. It wasn't much of a game, But it was some kind of victory for the Bruins. And even then, how can you get really enthusiastic when your opposition just lays down and lets you roll over them? The only way the Blues could possibly win a game in this series, according to Francis Rosa, and I would tend to agree, is if the Blues simply forget who they're playing and there's not much chance of that. On the same evening, the Chicago Rangers series reverted to Madison Square Garden in New York and something that was previously unthinkable, at least for the Chicago players and fans, actually happened. The Rangers took a 3 nothing lead in that series as once again they edged the Blackhawks 3-2 and the fine hockey writer for the Chicago Tribune, Ted Demata. Has the story for us. Ted writes, Now is the time for all good hockey players to come to the aid of the Blackhawks. Make those hockey players quick because that's what beat Chicago in this third game. It was the darting quickness of the New York Rangers which carried them to a three to two victory, their third straight over the Hawks in their Stanley Cup semifinal playoff series. Now, all New York needs is one more triumph to move into the finals against, obviously, Boston. That chance is going to come Sunday night again on Madison Square Garden Ice. If the Hawks come up losers, the hockey season will be over For Chicago. A Hawks victory would send the teams to Game 5 Tuesday night in Chicago Stadium. A Rangers sweep at this point is a grave possibility. Only one team in hockey history had been able to bounce back from a 3-0 deficit and that was the 1942 Toronto Maple Leafs in the finals against the Detroit Red Wings. Dennis Hull scored both Chicago goals in this game, while New York's heroes were Peter Stamkowski, Bruce McGregor, and Dale Rolfe in that order. Yes, the Hawks had opportunities to win it, especially in the third period when Chico Mackey hit the crossbar with a face-off shot and Dennis Hull had goalie Jills Villamere dead on a clean breakaway. I decked him, Dennis said. He went down, but I didn't get it high enough. Then the rebound was just sitting there and I couldn't get it because I was off balance, which the Hawks seemed to be all night. The Hawks also lost the game though on slowness and sometimes sloppiness in defensive work around the own net. Gary Smith who scored a shutout against Pittsburgh in his only playoff start before this game was brilliant most times in the Hawks net but he also contributed to the team's delinquencies helping the Rangers in their second goal which most sinfully was a shorthanded score. This was a hockey game played on soft, chippy ice, set down just a few hours after the circus tan bark was swept off the garden floor. It was a game in which Rangers were able to fill in vacancies created by injuries to defenseman Jimmy Nielsen and Ron Stewart, their number one defensive forward, and of course Bobby Hull's frequent shadow. Coach Billy Ray of the Hawks shook up his team. Dennis and Bobby Hull played left wing on all three forward lines and the Bill White Pat Stapleton defensive combo rated one of the best in the league well they were split up for this one White was paired with Doug Jarrett and Pat became Keith Magnuson's partner I remember watching this game wondering what the heck Stapleton was doing with Magnuson Ray wouldn't explain the split up but it could have been to have a hitter and either Jarrett or Magnuson on the ice at all times whatever it was didn't work uh, the slowness in clearing the puck around the net and sometimes outright lackadaisical play guaranteed the Hawks were not going to win this game. So those results took us to Sunday afternoon, well actually afternoon and evening, and that itself was a bit of a controversy. The games were to be in St. Louis and New York. Now, St. Lu- uh, CBS, the television network broadcasting the NHL games nationally in the United States, realized that a St. Louis-Boston national game was not a very attractive prospect for folks who maybe were borderline or non-hockey fans. Who wants to see one team embarrass another team? And that was what was probably going to happen. So... The CBS people made a request to the National Hockey League who referred them, of course, to the Rangers. The NHL didn't want to ruffle anybody's feathers in New York. Why would you want to upset Bill Jennings, one of the best of the old guys running the NHL? Well, they made a request to the Rangers to move the game from Sunday evening to Sunday afternoon so they could avoid... Showing the embarrassment of the series that was Boston and St. Louis. The Rangers, however, maybe to their credit, I don't know. They refused to play ball with CBS because they said that they had a previous agreement with a local cable company that had paid big bucks for the right to broadcast the Rangers games, and they would not reschedule their starting time. So the CBS folks were left holding a very stinky bag, and they had to uh, broadcast yet another Bruins-Blues matchup, and what they got is exactly what was Expected. Canadian press reported that they were calling it the longest wake. In National Hockey League history and with good reason. The St. Louis Blues are either an expansionist joke or are subjecting loyal fans and the Boston Bruins to an overplayed scene from the old Roman days when they fed the Christians to the Lions. The Blues offered little more than token resistance while being led once again to the slaughterhouse falling 7-2 to the overpowering Bruins. Following up 6-1 and 10-2 Bruin victories, it marked the third straight game in the best of seven fine semifinal that the Blues suffered through trials and tribulations and embarrassing scores. The Blues opened an early 1-0 lead once again on Mike Murphy's power play goal at 2:05, and had the Bruins reeling actually for the first five minutes. But you knew what was going to happen. Boston recovered and led 3-1 going into the second period. The Blues wilted in the face of Boston goalkeeper Ed Johnson's sharp reflexes and the overwhelming Bruin firepower that produced two goals each from Johnny McKenzie and Mike Walton. Veteran Eddie Westfall broke the Blues' offense-minded pattern at 8.40 of the first. McKenzie added another about two minutes later, and Phil Esposito provided the clincher about 18 seconds before the initial frame ended. The Blues rookie goalie, Peter McDuffie, provided little relief for the St. Louis goaltending problem that has already already yielded a near-record 23 goals in three games. Ken Hodge provided the other Boston score, while Gary Sabrin notched the second St. Louis goal. Meanwhile, a little interesting note on this, NHL President Clarence Campbell said the Blues have suggested themselves to a fine for dressing goalie Jacques Caron as backup to McDuffie. There's no way a club can recall a goalkeeper except in an emergency. Uh, Campbell was at the game and noted that the Blues had called up McDuffie from the Denver Farm Club because Karan was injured, but then they let Karan sit on the bench as if he wasn't hurt. The Blues represented, according to Campbell, that Jacques Karan was hurt and The league had to acknowledge that he was, but it's hardly conceivable they would dress a man who's supposed to be hurt. According to Campbell, there will be a fine for the Blues move in that matter. And that doesn't uh, really make Ernie Wakely feel very good, that they would dress an allegedly incapacitated man when he was perfectly healthy and ready to sit on the bench. But that's what happened, and the Blues were now... Down three games to none. So after that embarrassment in the afternoon, well, hockey fans could look forward to at least a good, well, hard-fought, close game that night in New York when the Rangers would take on the Blackhawks, who certainly would not want to go out four straight. That was, as we mentioned before, completely unthinkable before the series, and even now, no one really believed the Blackhawks would go go out quietly against the rangers well red burnett of the toronto star was at the game and red tells us what happened a thoroughly subdued and humiliated chicago blackhawk team trooped out of madison square garden and uh, they were convinced the new york rangers will give the bruins a battle in the stanley cup final that's right the Rangers eliminated the Blackhawks. Except for a few seconds following Bobby Hull's opening goal, while his team, by the way, was shorthanded, the Hawks were never in the game as the Rangers toyed with them and ran up a 6-2 score and sweep the semifinal set in four straight. Bobby Hall and Stan Makita, Chicago superstars, were basically humiliated by the rout of their team. Makita waited until he had showered and dressed before going to the Ranger room to congratulate the victors. Defeat rankled too deeply for him to make the gesture before 17,250 taunting New York fans who chanted, goodbye, Bobby, we're sorry to see you go as the final minutes of the one-sided contest ticked away. Makita said, we eliminated a Ranger team with almost the same personnel last April. This time, we came up empty. I don't think we threw three good checks in the entire series. The Golden Jets said that's a good, solid, tough hockey team. Speaking of the Rangers, the Bruins raise a hassle, but that doesn't excuse our going out in four strength. It was terribly humiliated. Chicago coach Billy Ray felt as badly as his two aces. I didn't think we'd go out in four straight, Ray said. The first three games were close, we were in them all the way, but this game. For some reason was no contest Ray said the defense was better Tougher and more determined On the Rangers than it was On the Blackhawks Ranger manager coach Emil Francis admitted That he was completely delighted With the sweep but he added This was not a one-sided Series Francis said that This fourth game was the only easy Win the other games were Actually for Francis Too close for comfort Now, did Francis think the tough, aggressive play of his centers, the key in killing the Hawks, would stand up against the Bruins, who thumped his team in five of six meetings during the regular season? Well, Francis, I've heard the optimist, said, of course, this is a different team than the one which failed to handle the Bruins during the regular schedule. Pete Stemkowski the center we got because he was big and tough could do a job against the Bruins but you know he was injured most of the season Francis says now Stemkowski will face the Bruins healthy and in top condition for the first time this year and Francis said that the rest of the team would be in top shape as well and that the Rangers were peaking at the right time well We'll see about that. It's going to be the Rangers once the Bruins complete the formality of eliminating the Blues. But we will have to wait till next week to find out whether that actually happened or not. If you're not familiar with the history of that time, because that is in next week's show when the fourth game between St. Louis and Boston will take place. And then, of course, you know what's going to happen and we'll then have... Coverage of the Stanley Cup Final, a classic matchup between two old rivals, the Rangers and the Bruins. Despite the Stanley Cup playoffs, which should be the biggest news in the hockey world at this time of the year... There was actually a much bigger news story this week, although how immense this news would turn out to be could not possibly have been known at the time. It was Tuesday afternoon of this week when the Associated Press put out a very short uh, three-paragraph press release that Russia and Canada had agreed to play a series of games this September. Here is how the release read. Canada and Russia will meet this fall in a series of eight hockey matches. The first four games will be in Canada beginning September 8th. Both teams will then travel to Moscow for another four encounters. The dates were fixed as between September 22nd and 28th. Soviet sources said that the games will be, quote, open and we may count on Canada fielding her actual best players regardless of whether they're amateurs or professionals, and that was the short statement. This was the only news mention on this date that we could find, but starting on Wednesday, lots of stories will be coming up, and we're going to tell you all about it. Now, many of us uh, diehard hockey fans, uh, myself included, we reacted with a, yeah, right, we'll believe it, When we see it, we never thought the Soviets at this early point were going to follow through with this, that they would somehow find a reason not to play. We didn't know that the Soviets were so far advanced as we thought they would be because we hadn't seen them play. The best players yet. Now, in the coming days, the story gained traction and reactions from several uh, areas in the NHL from, and from a number of players was, in hindsight, a little surprising. Uh, the first uh, story that I have for you here came from the great Frank Orr, of the toronto star the long-awaited showdown between canada and russia will take place this fall pitting the soviet union's national team against top canadian professional players all players In the National Hockey League, will be eligible to join the Canadian team to play four games uh, in Canada and four in Moscow during the month of September. Agreement on the series was reached Tuesday in Prague, and it marks the first time the Soviet Union has agreed to match its national team, which maintains it is strictly amateur, against professionals. NHL President Clarence Campbell called the agreement a real breakthrough. Only the Canadian NHL teams are committed to supply players, Campbell reminded everyone, but he expressed confidence top Canadian-born players from the American team, such as Bobby Orr, Bobby Hall, Phil Esposito, etc., won't want to stand by and watch this series. While the locations for the games have not yet, at least in Canada, have not yet been determined, the likely sites for the Canadian half of the series are Toronto, Montreal, Winnipeg, and Vancouver three Canadian teams in the NHL Toronto, Montreal and Vancouver are committed to make their players available for the international series. What the US based teams and league will do right now is still open to question and there is no doubt that these players are eligible to play. Almost all the NHL players are Canadian citizens. When they had agreed on the Soviet-Canadian competition the negotiators in Prague went to work arranging similar contests later between between the Canadian team and the national teams of Czechoslovakia and Sweden, and there were some questions whether they would be played before or after the Russian games. The Prague Agreement was made by Alan Eagleson, Executive Director of the National Hockey League Players Association. Joe Kriska, President of the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association and Hockey Canada, was also involved in the talks. Eagleson said that the only reason the Russians agreed to play the Canadians is because they think they can beat us. I hope we whip them eight straight games. Eagleson said that the top 20 players in the NHL will be asked to play but he said it may be possible to include many others of the main stars by dressing different players for different games. That's how confident Eagleson is that no matter who they throw out there they can whip the Russians. He named the players who will be invited at the outset. They are Bobby Orr, Phil Esposito of Boston, Bobby Hull, Pat Stapleton of Chicago, Vic Hadfield, Roger, Bear, Jean Rattel of the Rangers, Ivan Cornway of the Canadiens, Davey Keon, Paul Henderson of the Leafs were mentioned as well. Eagleson said. He would be back in Canada on May 8th and he wants an immediate meeting with Clarence Campbell and the league's governors. Because Eagleson says we have to work out who's going to play and who the coach will be and who will manage the team. The players have to know in advance because they will have to go into rigid training for the series. In mid-August Eagleson said the Russians Are going into training on July 1st Truth be known The Russians are never out of training In fact Eagleson says I think they're going to be going into training Right away One very respected hockey man had some misgivings about uh, this series. While Canadian professional hockey officials were enthusiastic about having a team of NHL players meet the Russian Nationals, Red Kelly says that the date could put Canadians at a disadvantage. Kelly, still coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins, said players need time to get into shape at the start of the season, even though many of them put in time at summer hockey schools. The Russians, Kelly says, could be in better shape in this respect. Red says that from what he hears, the Russians stay together as a team all year long, even if they're playing soccer or something else instead of hockey. Now, here's where the Canadian, uh, I guess you could call it, uh, arrogance kind of comes in from Stan Obodiak. Stan Obodiak, good guy. And I don't mean to, to disrespect him, but this is what he said. Stan Obodiak, official of Maple Leaf Gardens, doubted the Canadians would be handicapped from lack of condition. It took, shouldn't take them long to hit their stride. It's really a marvelous thing, Stan said. Uh, Obodiak, Obodiak said once and for all, this is going to be resolved about who has the best players. Obodiak said he saw the series as a forerunner of eventual NHL participation by the Soviet Union, Czechoslovakia, and possibly Sweden. Frank King Clancy, a vice president of the Maple Leafs and the substitute coach who took him down the home stretch into the playoffs, said I don't know much about it at this point, but if they're going to put a team in against the Russians, it should be an all-star team from all of the NHL. And King was, of course, right about that. Okay, hockey fans, feel the action on the ice like never before with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the National Hockey League. Right now, new customers can bet just $1 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if their team is successful. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still hit the ice for cold, hard cash. New customers can make their first deposit and play free for thousands of dollars with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. Draft your lineup of eight skaters and a goalie and Rack-up points for goals, assists, saves, and much more. DraftKings is safe, secure and reliable. Best of all you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN that's THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network bet just $1 on any NHL team to win and get $150 in free bets if your team wins. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the National Hockey League. You must be 21 or over. Some restrictions do apply and see our show notes for details. Well not everybody was on board with this momentous series as it's being announced. Rex McLeod of the Toronto Star ...tells us that Canada's unrestricted professionals, even though they haven't even been identified are already being restricted. And also their schedule has been extended by a couple of games. It was disclosed in Prague on Monday night that the eight-game series between Canada and Russia was going to be sanctioned for September. Al Eagleson, the executive director of the National Hockey League Players Association, exalted the players like Bobby Ornfield, Esposito, Boston, Bobby Hall, Pat Stapleton, Chicago. They'd be invited, of course. To play for Canada. Eagleson was in Prague where he represented Hockey Canada and the CAHA and the International Ice Hockey Federation uh, was also there and of course they all reached an agreement with the Russians. However, NHL teams in the United States have adopted a leave us out attitude for the September series with the Russians. Boston Bruins President Weston Adams says, no way, we're right in our training camp at that time and there's always the injury factor. Adams says, can you imagine what our fans would say if we allow Bobby and Phil to play for Canada in that series and either one or both of them suffered an injury that might prevent them from playing for us? I can't see where or for any reason we should participate Says St. Louis Blues General Manager Sid Abel himself, a Canadian. Our contribution would have to be a Gary Unger or a Barkley Plager, and if they break a leg, then what have we got to show for the rest of the season? You know what, though? Those guys put Gary Unger and Barkley Plager and Bobby Orrin-Phil Esposito in exhibition games during the fall where they could break a lake. but you know why it's okay then because they're making money off it that's why milt schmidt the bruins general manager said he might generate some interest in a meeting with the russians but only if it's for the world championship against the bruins or whichever team happens to win the stanley cup nhl president clarence campbell said earlier that the three canadian teams were committed to support the tournament but that he had no such commitment from the other teams in the NHL, meaning, of course... The American clubs. Charles Hay, the president of Hockey Canada, had returned from Prague, and he said that it was too early to talk about who the people on the team might be. They haven't actually approached anyone yet. Uh, Hockey Canada has talked to Al Eagleson. Uh, He's also on the board of Hockey Canada. And they've talked to Campbell several times, but every time they've talked, uh, they've been promised cooperation, but it hasn't been confirmed yet, according to to hey. Hay said that everybody they talked to have, of course, promised cooperation, and that is what the Hockey Canada people are, of course, depending upon. Hay, who originally proposed a similar series to the Russians in 1970, said that he was gratified that Canada would finally get an opportunity to go with its best players. He refused to comment uh, that Canada would not have its best team if the Uf- U.S. NHL teams forbid the use of their players. Hey said, I don't have any feelings about that. We're being guided by the advice we're getting from the people on our board. So things were kind of up in the air if people like the Boston Bruins, New York Rangers, St. Louis Blues, were not going to allow their players to play. What kind of a series was that going to be? There's another specter on the horizon no one has even thought about yet. And we'll get that... In the coming weeks Larry Nelson Of the Toronto Globe and Mail uh, Mentioned that um, He thought maybe Jean Beliveau Could be a candidate to coach The Canadian team Jean Beliveau was met at Gate 3 at Montreal International Airport By Nelson And he said I only wish Like this had happened A couple of years ago A few yards away from him But uh, the cameras and tape recorders of the press conference was going on. Bellevo was there to attend it. Joe Kriska, president of the CAHA, Charles Hay, Gordon Jux, just returned from Prague where they reported on the completing of the negotiations. And Bellavo said... I always said when I was playing I would look forward to playing in something like this, meaning a series against the Russians, but John retired as captain of the Canadians just before the previous season, and he's going to miss his spot but Milson says that Bellavo is a perfect candidate to coach the team, and that that's who they should. Win. Now, Beliveau, as everybody else says, the NHL would easily win. We always say the best players are there, and he thinks that they would do it. Beliveau said he might be flattered if asked, but he added, I would need a bit of experience. You don't become a coach one day uh, to the next. I feel it would be a man who has had some experience as a coach. And that was probably what they need to do. Uh Beliveau was a nice idea, uh, kind of a romantic idea. Such a great man John Bellavo was. But coach, I don't think Larry Milson really thought that one all the way through. And no one at this point, I can't blame Larry for this, because no one at this point realized what was in store as the eight games of what would come to be known as the Summit Series will unfold in September. And we're going to be telling you about this as the time goes on. Now, here's something we weren't thinking about, but someone did write a story on this. Yes, this is momentous. This is going to be the greatest hockey series ever. That's what we're all thinking. Well, what's going to be the greatest Canadian win ever is what we're all thinking, really. Nobody knew how good the the Soviets really were. But how are we going to see the games? Well, right away, the CTV television network was hoping to outbid CBC for the rights to broadcast the eight games ctc sports director johnny esau one of my favorite guys back then had been in prague at that time already negotiating for the rights he also had a film crew with him to cover the final game of the world hockey championship sort of as a preview and that game when it takes place would be shown on the CTV network. Don Goodwin, head of the CBC Television Sports Network, said that he hopes that the negotiations would result in the September series being shown on his public network. Goodwin said that they were attempting to make contact with the parties involved, but that the CBC was at a disadvantage and that they didn't have every anyone in Prague at the moment. And of course, Esau, smartly, was already there. Of course, with Maple Leaf Gardens being the site of probably at least one games, everybody wondered how the owner, Harold Ballard, would see things. Well, Ballard called this impending hockey series as the top sports event in our history, and he really didn't know how prophetic he was being. The president of Maple Leaf Gardens said, how long have we been waiting for somebody to beat the Russians ass 20 years now we get a chance this was slicing the old salami a trifle thick of course the Soviet Union had not lost the world championships since 1963 but stay tuned folks 1972 might be a different tune they of course have won the last three Olympic titles but of course they're playing inferior competition we in Canada all knew that didn't we so Ballard says he's going to Tettle this series to the hilt. We'll have a special on salami sandwiches and also bottles of beet borscht with straws. Prices for tickets to Stanley Cup games will resemble pinker stuff compared to the tariff on a Russia-Canada episode. For such an event, we'll probably go to $15 for box and rail seats, which of course are the reds in Maple Leaf Gardens. The charge for red pews for the recent Boston-Toronto series was 13.50 up from 7.70 for games during the regular season. But Ballard said, "I hope soon to get a bigger winner than the Russians. If we can get Barbara Streisand's seats on the floor, we'll go for $25 a pop." Harold Ballard always talking about the dollars. But he did say that he was confident that the best NHL players will be there and that the United States teams really can't stop their players from representing Canada. Ballard said that there's no way the U.S. teams can get out of this. They won't be able to stop their players. They got to go. They've said so many times, hell, they're all Canadians, aren't they? They don't want to miss a chance like this. So Ballard said he hopes to arrange a meeting with Al Eagleson, Clarence Campbell, Charles Hay, as soon as Eagleson gets back from Europe, which won't be until about May 5th, May 8th, and Ballard said, we got to get going without any delay and pick the team. Eagleson has talked to some players about this many times, so there aren't going to be any problems just as soon as we get it all together. Nobody saw anything standing in the way of any NHL player playing for the Canadian team. We'll see just how this unfolds. Well, how did the uh, Russians feel about this? Well, according to uh, Soviet coach Vlasov Bobrov, he said that Russian hockey players are enthusiastic about meeting Canadian professionals in September. Bobrov's statement came a few hours before his team met Czechoslovakia in the decisive battle for the World Hockey Championship the 10th straight title chased by the Russians since 1963. Bobrov says that the Russian players were enthusiastic when they got the news about playing the Canadian pros. They had been waiting for these encounters for years. He says this will give us a chance to see how strong we are. I don't want to make predictions, Bobrov said, but I think we should be able to win a few games. Bob Robb said that, of course, officiating will be very important. The two countries have agreed to use North American referees in Canada and European referees in Moscow. Bernie Haley, a Canadian referee at the current World Championship, says, I think the Russians will be in an unfavorable position in Canada. Our rinks are narrower by some 15 feet than those in Europe, and this will make the Soviet wingers' task much more difficult. But in Moscow, the situation may be reversed. Many of us at this time were having the prediction, we'll take six of the eight games and because of the officiating and the wide rinks, they'll win two in Russia. We didn't know how wrong we would be. Lots of reaction from players around hockey. Phil Esposito thought this was a great idea. But Phil added, they're going to have to pay me an awful lot of money to play in a series like this. Robert Marvin Hull was something less than ecstatic about Canada's opportunity to use pros against the Russians. He voiced his criticism before he and Brother Dennis uh, played in the game that, lo- that he lost to the Rangers 3-2, to uh, the third game. He said... Bobby, that is, I don't think playing Russia in September is such a hot idea. I have long let my feelings know on just about a series like this. Such a series, Hull says, should be played under NHL rules in mid-season or after the NHL season when the players are in top conditions. Bobby said there's no way we'll be in top physical shape to play them eight games in September And those Russians are never out of shape. They would be working constantly at hockey when we would be engaged in our regular off-season occupations. Don't forget, Hull says, this is a proposed series in which we have everything to lose and very little to gain. New York goalie Ed Jockman, defenseman uh, Jim Nielsen uh, kind of echoed the uh, Golden Jets view. So Bobby Hull was not alone in this. Nielsen said, I'm not for it. We have nothing to prove and everything to lose. Let them play us during our season and under our rules. Why should Hockey Canada, the C.A.H.A., or anyone else dictate the rules under which we would play, says Nielsen? But he added, "Be, be aware, I'm just speaking for ourselves. Eddie Jockerman said that he didn't think that the Canadians have anything to prove, and if Russia wants to challenge uh, the Canadians, Jackman feels that they should do it under NHL rules, at the NHL's convenience, not theirs. Rod Sealing of the Rangers said, I'd love to play the Russians, but under the proper conditions, which of course is NHL rules, all the best players in the NHL, and only when they're in top physical condition. And what about Bobby Orr? What did Bobby Orr think about this? Well, he said quite quickly, I'd be happy to play for the Bruins against the Russians. They think they have the best hockey players in the world. I think otherwise. Orr said he'd like to take the Bruins, uh, as they sit right now, against the Russians. And Bobby speaks from a little bit of experience. He played against them before, you know, but that was a long time ago when he was in juniors. In fact, it was six seasons previous when he was an 18-year-old junior with the Oshawa Generals. He played a game against the Russians at Maple Leaf Gardens. Orr says, as I remember, we lost 4-3. But we were a bunch of juniors and we gave them a pretty good game. One of the reservations of players expressed about this series was insurance. What happens... If you get hurt, receive a major injury and lose your livelihood. Well, a major Canadian insurance company has offered to help solve that problem by offering uh, to donate insurance contract covering all NHL players who take part in the series, and that is the CNA Assurance Company of Toronto. The firm would pay up to 80% of a player's contracted salary if he missed more 15 games through injury, 50% for 10 games, and 30% for five games. So that worry was effectively dismissed with that offer. Lots more to report on this series, and we will do that in an overtime session shortly. Uh, we have a little bit more in HL news to give you before we say goodbye for this week, or actually hockey news. And so here are the notes from this very newsworthy week. Wayne Connolly of the Vancouver Canucks confirmed he was jumping to the World Hockey Association's Minnesota Fighting Saints. The Vancouver club reacted by saying it's going to take Wayne Connolly to court to block his move to the new rival league. Another Vancouver Canuck goalie, George Gardner, says that he had signed with the Los Angeles Sharks of the WHA, and later in the week, he was joined on the Sharks by minor league forward Tom Gilmore, who's in the Detroit Red Wings organization. The New England Whalers announced their first player acquisition, and he is Montreal Canadiens uh, fringe forward Larry Plow. A native of New England Two flyers, Doug Favell And Simon Nollet, uh Two Philadelphia flyers They said that they had Received solid offers from the WHA. Favell's, uh Off contract offer Was from the Ottawa Nationals And he says it's in the uh, Area of six figures for about Five years and Doug was seriously Considering it. Rumors Had the Sharks offering a big Contract to Minnesota's a uh, st- uh, tall goalkeeper, Caesar Maniego, but later in the week, the elongated netminder inked a new deal with the North Stars. In fact, North Stars GM Ren Blair continued to get his key players under contract, agreeing to terms with veteran forward Charlie Burns and goalies Fernrebarde and jill Gilbert as well. But veteran defenseman Ted Harris rejected an offer from Blair because he wouldn't give him a no trade clause. Harris was being quartered by the Winnipeg Jets and of course Winnipeg is Ted Harris's hometown, but at this point he hadn't signed with anybody. Maniego was not the only goalkeeper to reject a World Hockey Association offer. Ken Dryden agreed to a two-year contract extension with the Montreal Canadiens, and it was had been widely reported that Dryden was seriously considering a move to the new league. The Oakland Tribune reported that six California Golden Seals players were in serious contract discussions with the WHA, but they wouldn't name the players. Well, one of those players we found out was forward Bobby Sheehan, who... Uh, received a sizable offer from the New England Whalers she and of course is from New England as well Weymouth Massachusetts I think two other of the seals it was learned Ernie Hickey and Joey Johnson said that they had turned down offers from the Minnesota Fighting Saints now one WHA team had signed one player that's Bernie Perrant with the Miami Screaming Eagles but the Eagles had no place to scream at this point. They were unable to secure any date at any Florida hockey venue. And their arena, which had two of four walls and nothing behind those walls, was really not even under construction. And that franchise had the request to put up their $100,000 performance bond extended. They had that request denied by the league, who seemed to be fed up with Herb Martin And his band of bandits in Miami. A little bit more news uh, from the hockey world, the hockey. Hall of Fame selection committee added a couple of NHL owners. Uh, they are Harold Ballard of the Maple Leafs and Walter Bush of Minnesota. Some sports writers were also added. Most notable, Tom Fitzgerald of the Boston Globe. The Montreal Junior Canadiens announced that their OHA Junior A franchise has been suspended. They suspended the franchise. Uh, this began an off season of upheaval and change in. Canada's premier Junior A Hockey League. The Detroit Red Wings announced that coach Johnny Wilson was going to be retained for at least one more year on the NHL team. The Wings also were hinting that Ted Garvin, a native, I believe, of Sarnia, Ontario, he's the coach of the International Hockey League Port Huron Flags, which is sort of a loosely connected to the Red Wings. Garvin was going to likely be promoted to the American Hockey League Tidewater Wings, the Red Wings' number one farm team. Now, why would Ted Garvin be going to AHL? Well, their coach, Doug Barkley, has decided once again that coaching professional players really just isn't for him. Ned Harkness, the general manager of the Red Wings, said if Doug doesn't want to coach, he doesn't have to, but he is going to have a job with the Red Wings. Of course, Doug lost an eye playing for the Red Wings, and and the team owes him that. Barkley, a very eloquent, very intelligent guy, is a very valuable member of the Red Wings organization, according to Harkness, and Ned was not wrong about that. A little more coaching news around the NHL. The Atlanta Flames were rumored ready to sign their first coach for the team. The guy apparently that the Flames were going to bring in, and there was lots of stories about this in the Atlanta papers, was a fellow by the name of Bobby Crom, who was the coach of the Dallas Central Hockey League team, and he was supposed to be the one... The Flames were choosing for their first coach and California Golden Seals coach Vic Stasiuk was telling anyone who would listen that he's looking for a job. Now we have no word that Vic had been fired. Vic was asked about this and he said no he hasn't been fired as of yet but he is wondering about his future so he made some calls and he sent letters to general manager Gary Young and Seals owner Charlie Finley requesting a meeting to determine his status and his requests his questions have gone completely unanswered he hasn't heard from either of them since the end of the season Now, is that really any way to run a so-called professional hockey operation? I'm no Vic Stasiuk fan by any stretch. But how Gary Young is handling this matter is just plain ignorant at best. So that is our show for this week, everyone. We're sorry we've actually gone a little longer than we usually do. don't usually like to get over an hour. There was actually more news than we could possibly report on in one episode this week. But, in what we did tell you, what did we learn this time around? Well, we learned that the Rangers and Bruins were going to be in the Stanley Cup final, although the Bruins still had to make it more or less official to get one more win over the Blues. Canada and Russia were finally going to meet head-to-head in a hockey series, best against best, I am by no stretch a fan of international hockey. Generally, there's too much garbage that goes along with it, too much baggies I didn't like it. But in this meeting, best against best, we can't wait to see it played. And we learned this week that players were starting to move between the NHL and the World Hockey Association, but a couple of key goalers have decided to remain with their NHL teams so tune in next week we're going to continue our coverage of the Stanley Cup playoffs the finals are about to get underway the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole again I can't thank Andy enough for all his hard work this does not happen without him if you would like to start a podcast up contact me I'll get you uh, I'll hook you up with Andy and maybe he can put something together with you. He's one of the best in the business, a true media professional. The very popular Juno-nominated Toronto indie rock group, the Rural Alberta Advantage provides our intro and exit music. They're going on tour of the U.S. in May. If you get a chance to see them perform live, don't miss it. They put on a great high energy show. Other musical pieces and sound effects in the podcast are crafted by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files of the Toronto Star, Toronto Global Mail, and of course, the many fine publications found at our sponsor, newspapers.com. Again, we couldn't do this without them. Also, do not forget our other sponsor, the Breakwall Brewing Company, located in beautiful downtown Port Coburn, Ontario. If you get to Southern Ontario, let me know. We'll meet up with the Breakwall for a beer and a burger. You are going to be able to find this again very soon on Twitter at hockey50 Years. Our Facebook page is under 50 years ago on Hockey Banner. We have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. And we are here right week, every week on the Hockey Podcast Network and wherever you download your favorite podcast. Thanks again to everyone who uh, tunes into the show. These 72 playoffs are turning out to be uh, a little of a letdown, but the final series between the Rangers and the Bruins should be an all-time classic, and we'll be with you all the way. On that note, we'll see you next time.